Welcome to the Creative Brew, helping you keep your creative juices brewing. We're giving out chunks of insight, motivation, and practicality for your creative journey. If you're a creator, athlete, or entrepreneur, luck can only get you so far. Having the right skill sets are critical in your success. All Skill No Luck makes handcrafted, custom-designed flannel wear. Made in the United States and based here right in Oceanside, California. They pride themselves on quality, creativity, and attitude. The perfect brand for the Creative Brew. Use promo code CREATIVEBREW10 and get 10% off and free shipping within the United States. You can check them out at allskillnoluck.com. Panels, Comics, and Coffee Bar here in beautiful Oceanside, California, right off of Mission Avenue. They've got some of the hottest graphic novels and comics out right now. They also have a wide assortment of merchandise, toys, as well as back issue, vintage comic, uh, comic books, and that I'm sure has some hidden gems in there. If you mention the Creative Brew, you'll get 10% off of your next purchase. You, you can also check them out on social media at Panels Coffee or go to PanelsCoffee.com. My next partner is Elevate Coffee Trading, and if you appreciate specialty coffee, enjoy outdoor adventure, and love helping elevate the lives of children around the world, then you're going to love Elevate Coffee Trading. Their mission is to extract hope through love, coffee, and adventures. There's free shipping in the United States, and every bag of coffee helps sponsor health and education for children in coffee-producing countries and in areas of need in the United States. You can use promo code ELEVATE21 on your next order, and you can follow their journey on social media at Elevate Coffee Trading. Or you can visit online at ElevateCoffeeTrading.com, and let's start extracting hope together. The Couple Pot is a boutique video and audio production studio and based in Oceanside, California. And if you're a podcaster, vlogger, content creator, uh, you honestly, you should really come by and check out the venue for yourself. Uh, anytime that I bring in a guest, they're amazed by the setup amazed by the quality the production value um like i said I, I think the creative brew just went up a notch i actually went up uh, incredible levels uh partnering up with kobo pod and i've been able to um uh, create you know 4k uh video um you know everything looks great um even the photographer that we have on staff um uh, you know I'm, i use a lot of their photography for uh for for branded um assets for the creative brew um as well as uh, the audio for my uh, podcast and my radio show so um if you want to feel like booking your session and maybe you're thinking about you know starting a podcast or maybe heck you want to just sit in one day you know i'm doing a um a podcast or a, i'm doing a show hey come by check it out um see the venue see the setup check out everybody it's a great vibe here um, but let's book your session today at couplepod.org. And welcome to a new episode of the Creative Brew, giving you insights on your creative journey. Today we have Marissa. Uh, she is the founder of Artists in Solidarity, a arts organization uh, based in Oceanside, California, and it helps. Um, is it actually a non nonprofit that helps with um, uh, migrant? Uh, actually, provides funds for for migrant families um through charity art auctions um so this is something i've, I've actually been starting to follow more and I, i've always been a uh, advocate of, of arts and you know creativity and arts has always been a part of my life um being a uh, you know my as far as my professional 
uh, occupation is, is, you know, uh, being a graphic designer and running my own business, um, art, creativity, art ex education, art advocacy, um, helping um, people, people um, that, that may not have the needs uh, to, to be able to support their, uh, support their self or, or, or any, any of those endeavors. I'm, I've always been a big fan of, and when I saw this, you know, I, I wanted to figure out some way at, at my capacity to sort of share it out, promote it. Um, so uh, it's finally, like I said, been a pleasure to, to finally get connected with you and, and uh, really just sort of share your story, um, how uh, Artists in Solidarity, how it started and um, you know what you're doing, where you're going from there. Awesome, thanks so much for having me today. I really uh, appreciate your support over the past um, two years that our nonprofit has been around. You've been um, a great supporter and ally. And, and so I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing to shine light on the creative community and um, all the good that can come from it. Um, so yeah, my name is Marisa DeLuca. I'm an artist um, working in painting, drawing, and photography. I have a background in um, community engagement through um, nonprofit service in the arts sector. And my nonprofit work um, actually started in 2009. Um, I helped my dad start a nonprofit um, that raised money for um, uh, cancer research. And that was after um, my stepmother passed from kidney cancer. And so I was younger, I was in my 20s, and I watched um, him and, um, and other volunteers and, and got to engage in that process of uh, developing a nonprofit and doing service work there. I've also done non nonprofit work at um, Oceanside Museum of Art. I was a volunteer, um, like front desk clerk, and then I moved on to be a volunteer educator there for a couple of years um, before I started my undergraduate work um, at UC San Diego. So um, I'm the, uh, the president and founder of Artists in Solidarity. We're a 501c3 um, incorporated um, public charity. And we're based here in Oceanside. Um, I'm a San Diego native. I moved up to North County um, uh, over 20 years ago. And um, I got my bachelor's in visual arts studio at UC San Diego in 2021. And I start my MFA at San Diego State um, this fall. So I'm really excited about um, art generally. And like I said, the, um, the ways that we can creatively problem solve using um, our artistic talents. My um, my practice, my personal um, art practice looks at um, kind of in a broad sense, um, time, memory, nostalgia, and, um, and uh, impermanence. And so that kind of goes, uh, that runs the gamut across all of my different bodies of work. The work that I do now um, specifically is um, really meditating on gentrification in the Oceanside region. And when I started this work, um, it really started out as, um, you know, an idea like any creative idea that we have. And um, I, having been in Oceanside for a long time, um, you know, you see a lot of things changing. And uh, so I started to document um, in, in photographs. I used to just take pictures of things that I appreciated that had been around for a long time and that, um, you know, I'd almost kind of forgotten about. And then I thought about like, if this goes next, I'm going to be really bummed. So I started photographing. And then um, that photography informs my oil paintings today. When I um, started actually doing the paintings um, a couple years ago, uh, I had like really big ideas of what I wanted this work to do. Like I really, I had, I was taking a, um, 
a class at UC San Diego um, with Grant Kester called The History of Socially Engaged Art. And he's looking at artists like um, Adrian Piper and Hans Hockey and these artists who are really, really engaging the public and really making the public uncomfortable and making them do things. And um, I was so inspired and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna like, something's gonna change because I'm doing this art, you know? And um, I kind of had like a reality check after, you know, after the first year, like I was so fired up and, and cause, because I'm sitting there trying to figure out like, how does that, how does, how do my paintings translate into social change, you know, and I couldn't, I just couldn't crack that nut. And so um, I, I met with uh, another art history professor and, and I suggest for anybody who goes to school um, that's in college, take some time and go to office hours with your professors, because the, the insight that I've gotten has been invaluable for my own practice, for um, my decisions and thoughts as a professional um, and kind of where I want to go in life. And so um, they're there, they, they're required to have office hours every quarter, every semester, they forced to sit for an hour a week in their office. So, you know, go say hi, they're, they're regular people and they've all been in our shoes, you know, so um, they, this um, professor took some time with me. And um, one of the things that he, he said, I mean, in so many words, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but the basic premise was that art can't change things art can't change things and I was like <gasps> you know like you know pearl clutching or whatever like are you kidding me and so like but we sat down and, and we kind of hashed that out and and um he kind of helped me understand that when I when someone is trying to push an agenda a political agenda in their artwork it, it really it, it's not too much of a stretch for it to turn into propaganda mm -hmm. and um you know like my work, it, it looks at gentrification, but um, what, what is different, uh, you know, as opposed to other artists who are doing um, work about the same topic is that I'm not really, I'm not saying a whole lot, you know, and I had to come to terms with that, that like, when you look at when I'm making paintings, there isn't this overt message that like gentrification is bad or that people are being displaced. It's just like, here's this space as it is. And, and that's what I appreciate about these the spaces and the scenes that I that I capture is that like I'm not um, I'd like I had to get real with myself and say you know what like I'm not trying to change anything with this like I'm doing this for me and it was really became about like I'm trying to take the power back for myself because this building is going to be torn down mm -hmm. when you know when the developer comes and they want to build another hotel like it's going to be gone I can't unless I chain myself to the building which even then you know it's this the building's still going to come down so I had to get real with myself that like it was more about me coming to terms with the changes in my community and um, the families being displaced and and that like all that is well and good for my practice as an artist, but for my conscience and how I feel about what's happening um, to um, various vulnerable communities, um, I, I knew that like more action had to happen. And so um, during 2020, um, it was like, you know, this really scary time. And I mean, I thought the world was coming to an end. I think a lot of us thought that in like those early months, like I was home with all my kids. I'm a single mom. I'm low income. I'm just home with my kids. Like, what am I, you know, like, I'm like in my room, like, oh my God. And then I have to like go out there and like with my composure and like be cool for my kids. I have, a um, my son is 17 and my daughters are five and seven. Mm -hmm. 
And so, especially for the little ones, but even for my team too, like I really had to like maintain, like everything's going to be fine. Like we're going to be safe. It's going to be okay. But like, I was freaking out and, um, um, and I had set up, uh, a home studio in my garage. So I was doing a lot of painting and my son would babysit the girls and I would go out in the garage and paint for a few hours each day. And, uh, but I, I have that, this kind of realization that I think a lot of artists were having during that time of like, what, if the world is coming to an end, like, what's the point, you know, like I'm, I'm here in my little selfish world, you know, painting and like getting all into it. Like, like, what is the point, you know? And, um, for me, it became really an escape because I don't, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, you know, I'm, I'm focused in here with my kids, you know, all during that time. And so it was really a way for me to like, check out and get into the zone into my work and and just have some relief for a few hours and um and so I, but I was painting a lot and and the paintings were piling up and during that time um there was uh we hit the summer of 2020 and um the murder of George Floyd and the murder of so many other um black people it was um it was horrible to see that on you know to see that going on in the midst of a pandemic with so many others dying and you know everything going on down at the border and it was just like so overwhelming you know and um I had a friend who uh I went to UC San Diego with and he hit me up and he said hey I'm gonna do a, an auction uh auction for uh artists for black lives auction and I'm gonna we're gonna auction artwork online do you want to put something in the auction and I was like, hell yeah, you know, so I put something in and it sold. And then he sent me the address of the person who bought it and, and I mailed it out. And I was like, cool, because, you know, I'm low income. So it's like, I can't, I don't really have the, the extra funds to donate money to causes that I care about. And also, you know, as a, as a parent activist, I don't, my, my action is limited by my parental responsibilities, you know, and everybody has their own kind of like risk level and what's appropriate for them. But for me, being the sole provider for my family, like it did, it, it wouldn't have been responsible for me to like go out and, and march and protest and possibly get arrested. You know, I have a record. And so, you know, it, it, it suddenly like this light bulb went off, like, oh my gosh, this is a way that I can um, use like the monetary value of my art and put that towards like, you know, a cause that I care about. So he did that auction. And then right after that, I got into another auction called Picture Partay. And um, she had done, uh, the woman who runs it had done a couple of auctions supporting BLM. So I put a, so I put some work in there and that sold and I mailed it out and I was like, hey, this is rolling along. And so then I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, you know, a, an issue for me that, that really was just breaking my heart was, um, the the situation at the border and migrant families and the, the situation at the border is that all is not something new but it's something that was definitely exacerbated by um the trump administration and, and their choices of how to um, punish migrants for coming over and particularly kidnapping babies um, from their parents as they cross the border and putting them in cages and you know you see this videos on tv of um of kids with these um foil blankets and and you know little small babies being held by an older kid you know because they're all just you know they're all stuck in there like animals and it's just mm -hmm. it, it was horrible and so 
I'm like, well, okay, you know, where's the options for migrant migrant people, migrant families? Because I, I knew there was a lot of nonprofits that were doing work down at the border and doing work helping people in detention. And I couldn't find any. And so um, I said, well, how about I do an auction? My friend did an auction and, it, and that went, well, yeah, so how about I do an auction? You know, so um, I... Um, I hit him up and his, the auction that he did was so professional. Like it looked like front facing, it looked like he had his own website for this auction. You put in your credit card, they mail you the art that you bid on, you know? So um, I asked him how he did it and he turned me on to a platform called betterworld.org. And um, their platform does free hosting for nonprofit um, auctions, raffles, other fundraising activities. They have it all, it's streamlined. They have it all set up where you plug in your images, your information, the prices, how long you want the auction to be. They're connected to a payment processor um, called Stripe that you connect your bank account to. And so it's really this like whole seamless thing. And um, you come to the end of it and uh, they don't, Better World doesn't charge you to use their service, but the credit card processor charges a fee, like, you know, any credit card processor. So um, he told me about that. And then I asked the the woman who run um, Picture Party. I'm big on like talking to people about their experiences. Like it's important for me to hear other people's experiences and, and gain insight in that way. So I also talked to the woman who run um, Picture Party, and she was... Um, very helpful and very kind and told me her experience. They do like live auction on Zoom, which seemed a little bit more than I could handle. Mm -hmm. So I went with the Better World because um, it's kind of the Better World is like a silent auction just online. Like it's kind of like eBay, like you just go in and plug in like how much you want to bid on something. And um, so I so I wanted to do this, um, but at the same time, I'm I'm white, you know, I'm I'm Italian American, and so. Um, while there is a history, um, you know, generations back of, um, of injustice towards Italian immigrants, it's, um, you know, it's in the past. And, and so that's not my experience personally. And I needed to find out more about what it meant to be a white ally in this, you know, in this um, social justice movement. And so I spoke to another professor who was a, um, so like that's, I think that that's my big advice for anybody watching like creative advice, see someone who they have what you want and what they're doing and go ask them about it and get their, get their insight. And so I had this other professor who, um, in, in addition to being a professor, she was also a, um, she also ran a bookstore that um, featured black artists or um, black um, authors. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she was white. And so I, I met with her in office hours and I asked her about that. I said, you know, what does it mean to be a white ally? And what does it mean to be successful as a white ally? And um, she said that um, so there were a couple of, of important pieces of advice that she gave me. She said, number one, when you do this work, it's not about you. It's not about look at what I did. It's about that group and what they're going through and the suffering that they face and the challenges they face and what what can your organization do to support the people who need it and so that that was an important like guiding light for me as far as promoting the auction and um, I mean we did all our promotions on Instagram and so I keep it very separate I have my Instagram that is like my art and me and my stuff 
And then I have the Artisan Solidarity Instagram, which is just that. It's just the organization. It's just the auction. And any of our, I mean, I'll, I'll feature artists who have, have donated to the auction and participate in the auction. But by and large, it's my focus there is about um, the, the issues surrounding um, migration in the United States, particularly at the border. And um, the other piece of advice that she gave me was, um, I'm about to lose my train of thought, is that, um, I forget the other piece of advice, I guess it wasn't. <laughs> so so uh, as, you know, sort of piggybacking on that, so even with uh, the artists and solidarity, so what's what's been the results of, of, um, of the, of the art, I'm sorry, of the art auction, uh, what you're doing, what's been the re results um, from that? Um, and when, when did you, I, I know you said you, you know, you've got everything sort of built up for that, but when, when did you actually um, start Artists in Solidarity? And then what's been the, the results from, from those art auctions? So how Artists in Solidarity got formed after kind of getting all this advice and figuring all that out, that was the other thing that she told me. She said, you know what, as, as a white ally, you can't, you don't have the voice for this. You don't have the experience and you need to find some other, um, you need to find people who actually have a migrant story to, to be part of this with you. And so I hit up a couple of um, uh, women that I was in school with that are both Latina. And I asked them if they, um, what they thought of the idea and if they wanted to participate. And they said, yeah, totally, we're into it. Let's do this. And so um, uh, my, my friend, um, Lacelle, is um, uh, my, my co-partner in, in this process. And um, we had another, um, another woman, Jackie, who was participating. And she stepped down um, right before our second auction. Um, but the three of us, we got together and, and we became an association first. There was kind of like different definitions of like nonprofit work. And so we became an association first and we formed in the summer of 2020. So this all was like pretty rapid fire. It was like, I want to do this. Yeah, let's do this. Okay, now we're doing this. <laughs> and so we had our first auction um, in uh, August of 2020 and we opened an artist call and we, we met ahead of time and we said... Um, like, how do we, um, how do we want to do this with the artist call? And the idea was like, we're just going to put it out there. We'll put it out on Instagram. We'll share it to all our friends and their friends and their friends. And we'll take whatever art we can get because we don't know how, like, we don't know what kind of response we're going to get. So we were, we kept our expectations low. So we're just going to take everything. We ended up getting like over 200 pieces of art. And we, and this whole thing is done online. So, which has made like the administrative work a lot easier. Like people don't mail their artwork to us. They keep, the artist keeps the artwork at home. If it sells, then I tell them like, okay, you're going to ship it to this person at this address. And then they ship it out. And that's between the artist and the buyer of like how they work out the shipping. Cause some people live locally. So they just go pick it up. Mm -hmm. Some people live far away and the shipping is expensive. And so they're going to have to pay for shipping. So there's a lot of different, um, like all that, like shipping logistical stuff. I leave it up between the artists and the buyer. And so that helped a lot, but we got like over 200 pieces of art and the word really spread. And if it weren't for organizations like yours that, that picked it up and said, Hey, artists and solidarity is going to do an auction this summer, you know, I mean, what was great too about what you were doing is that like, you know, we have our own flyers that we put up online promoting our work. 
and you you went out of your way and you made your own post that was like hey we've got this going on this going on artists and solidarity is going on and i was like oh my gosh you know like to have that support from you and and other organizations like yours who um who care about these causes and want to get the word out we're really small i mean it's just me and lasalle Mm-hmm. And I graduated in 21 and LaSalle is on her way to graduation. She's um, studying art, his, art history and psychology um, to become a, a, um, an art therapist. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's actually needed, really needed right now. It is big time. And she recognizes the therapeutic value of art. Um, she's half Guatemalan and half Mexican. And so our logo, the Artist in Solidarity logo with the bird with the long tail, that's actually the, um, the national bird of Guatemala. And it's kind of like a symbol of hope. And so she shot that idea out there and we're like, yeah, let's do it. There was another, like a graphic artist who had donated to our auction, who um, we asked her if she'd do our logo. She did our logo for free. And so like, when I think about, you know, the, the results of like our auctions and the results of the work that we've done in 2020, we um, raised $5,394. That was our first year and it was like oh my god we were watching the number go up and up and up. i was just like oh my god and so when you're when you're doing um fundraising if you hit five grand in a year then you have to incorporate or you're or you can be liable for the taxes on that money so you have to like get that money to be exempt yeah and so as we were watching and i knew that ahead of time like i i went into it like i researched and and i want to say to you if you want to start a nonprofit. You don't need legal zoom. You don't need to pay a lawyer. You just need to be willing to take some time to do some research and you can find the information that you need, you know, to, I mean, we, uh, we filed all that paperwork on our own. And, um, so yeah, so as the, as that first auction was getting higher and higher, I was like, oh no, we're going to have to incorporate. And so, um, when we raised that money, when we started the auction, we said, okay, we're going to we chose two receiving organizations that are actually feet on the ground doing the work with migrants. They're doing um, legal services and they're showing up at the detention centers and they're helping family members get back in touch. They're giving rides to um, place, you know, from the border and they're, they're providing food and they're bringing, they're doing food and water drops in the desert. And so um, we chose border angels, which is, um, you know, local in San Diego County, as one of the receiving organizations. Um, and then the other organization we chose that year was Raices Texas. Mm-hmm. And they're based in Texas and they're they're pretty big, but they're a lot of their work is um, legal based. So they're like hiring lawyers and, and helping people get their asylum claims and, and get bailed out of detention and stuff like that. So um, we incorporated it as a 501c3 and we started our Instagram account. Prior to that, it was like, me and the other two girls who were running it, like we were just promoting it from like our own accounts. And so once it like it, it started to take off. So I was like, okay, we need our own Instagram. So we got our own Instagram. And then we had our second auction in 2021. And um, we kind of ran into some, uh, we kind of had some conflict um, with one of the girls, Jackie, she ended up stepping down. And so it was just me and LaSalle. And um, that second auction, um, we ended up raising uh, $5,281. So we did like just as well. I mean, it was, you know, a couple hundred shy from the first one. Um, but we ended up, uh, we donated that money to, um, al, al otro lado, mm-hmm. which is a, another local organization that's doing work for migrant families. And then, um, minority humanitarian foundation. 
and um, they're best known for, I'll throw a lot of, is doing like a lot of different things for migrant families, but the, um, the Minority Humanitarian Foundation, um, I believe they're in Lemon Grove. And, and one of the things that they're doing um, that I love is that they have like a little, like they set up like a little kind of like a free store. And so when migrant people come across the border, they pick them up at the border. You know, once they're able to like get across and get out of detention, they'll pick them up and bring them where they need to go. But first they go like, hey, do you need some like clothes and toiletries and stuff? And they take them to their little like store. They have like nice clothes and art on the wall. Like it looks like a cool thrift store. Like I see the pictures online. I'm like, I want to go shopping there. <laughs> you know, so, so then everyone like they can't, I, it, I just, it warms my heart to see the work that they're doing. And um, especially when you think about um, that treacherous journey that so many migrant families are facing, because, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people assume that um, migrant families coming through the border are Mexican, but there is a, a whole host of um, family, uh, I'm sorry, of countries and cultures where um, these families are coming from. And some of them are coming from way deep in the South. And so they're traveling, you know, thousands of miles to get up here, sometimes on foot and in really dangerous, treacherous conditions. A lot of times they've got young children with them. Um, and then, you know, they get here and it, it's just, I can't, I, I, I cannot even fathom what that looks like. So for them to finally be able to get over here and to, to have these organizations like Minority Humanitarian Foundation who pull up in a nice cozy van, give them some nice clothes, take them to their family member who's been missing them and waiting for them. You know, um, I wish we could see that same kind of welcome, you know, the open arms from the United States government, but I know we're not going to have it. And so what is vital, I believe, in whatever social justice movement we're looking at is that the, the nonprofits and the grassroots organizations who are doing the real footwork on the ground are supported in any way that we can. I think that's that's the way that we get change done. And as, for me as an artist, you know, my oil paintings aren't gonna create change, but if I can convert that, those art objects into cash that goes to one of these organizations, then I'm more than happy to do it. And so um, we have our, um, we got a website after that second year. Um, we realized in that second year that like, oh, all this money that we raised, like, we need to we need to like reserve some of it for our expenses like our bank account and um we wanted to get a a, a p.o box and we and you know we had all these like filing fees mm -hmm. that we ended up that first year we paid everything ourselves out of pocket and then um so for the auction that second auction it was like okay we need to pay ourselves back for those you know what we loaned to the organization to, to do all the filing fees and and the um, bank account fees and stuff and, um, and then we need a reserve for the next year, like, okay, bank account's going to cost, it's $12 a month. So 12 times 12, let's, we got to put that for next year. So that's rolling. And then like, we didn't, we weren't sure if we we're going to do a PO box yet. And so um, I did like a small fundraiser and we were able to raise about half the money for the PO box. Um, so we just got that. And now we have a, our next auction is planned for um, the end of July. Mm -hmm. We're doing it a little early. Like we usually do it in August, but um, uh my I'm I'm starting school in August and so we've pushed it up to July so we're going to have um, an artist call that's going to open um, like I said all of our promotion is on Instagram and so um, that artist call is going to be primarily found on Instagram our Instagram is 
Artists in Solidarity official. Um, our website is artistsinsolidarity.com. Okay. And now is this now, as far as the art auction, this is open to anybody. I mean, open, I mean, I know we obviously got our local artists, but this is an open call for anyone nationwide to connect. Okay, cool. Internationally. I mean, we had our set, I think it was on our first auction. We had uh, an artist from France. Oh, well. who that was like in France and I was like well that's cool but I mean the shipping's <laughs> gonna be crazy we've yeah. had artists we've had artists down in Mexico and that's challenging mailing across the border is kind of challenging and so I think during that time we actually had an artist here in the states who met that artist down at the border and got the art from her and then was able to mail it out for her and so that's not kind of some of when we talk about like the results and the benefits of of these auctions that's some of the side stuff that that happened that I didn't expect was that there's like an artist community that was built among the artists who donated work and who supported this cause is that we all found like like-minded individuals who care about migrant families and and are willing to um to donate that work like because that work is valuable like I could sell that painting for whatever and get the money and and these these artists are putting in amazing work they're donating 100% of the profit to this organization. Um, and, and then, so we've all been able to connect online and, and learn that like, oh, hey, like some of us live in the same neighborhood or in the same area. And, and you know, like that all flourished. And, and also um, that it being an online auction, it kind of doubled as like an online art show. And so for a lot of these artists who are emerging, a lot of them who have migrant stories of their own, it's, um, it's an opportunity for them to showcase their work. And because some people are putting in like more than one piece, a lot of artists just put one piece. But like I have, there's one artist who um, the past two years, he put in like six or seven pieces and they all sell and he's happy to, to, to donate. And, um, and, these artists get to showcase their work in a in a, a forum that they may not have had the opportunity to do otherwise, mm-hmm. and it creates um, a, a a new a new professional experience for these artists that they're then able to go and use that for further opportunities. Like they can put it on a resume or a CV, or when they're applying to school, they can say, "Hey, I've donated to the the auction for migrant families two years in a row," and. Um, you know, so there, there's new opportunities created. Our, our hope and our vision for the future is that um, we'll, able, we'll be able to um, do other activities in addition to our annual auctions. Um, particularly, I think we're both interested in um, creating grant opportunities for emerging um, migrant artists um, and possibly also scholarship opportunities. And so that's kind of like further on on the horizon. Um, once we kind of figure out how to get our fundraising like really dialed in, mm-hmm. um, I'm hopeful for this upcoming year. I'm again, I'm going to keep my expectations low. I know that um, money's tight for everyone right now. Yeah, you know. So I mean, I'm keeping my expectations low, and um, I think that the this kind of positive activity um, in the making of the art and the donating of the art and getting it out there for the world to see. And um, getting it into, into like its little forever homes, wherever they go. Um, I know that this work is valuable and that the energy that's created from this kind of work permeates, you know, and there's, a, there's just like so much, there's so much hate in the world. But when I'm doing work like this, I see so much love. 
And I see so much community and I see so much concern and care for, um, for our fellow human beings. And so um, it's this kind of work that really like keeps me going, you know, so. That's awesome. I I just feel really grateful to be able to do the work. And, and again, I'm so grateful that, um, that you showcase what we're doing and, and help us, you know, get the word out there. So thanks so much. Hey, not a problem. Not a problem. Um, So going into, um, you know, some other, some other things, you know, what, you know, I've, something I've sort of had on my mind is that, you know, generally the the things that we're doing, uh, even the things that we're doing now, and even from your capacity with, with art and um, and doing um, uh, social activism and, and all kinds of things like that, um, we, we tend to get those little breadcrumbs along the along the course of our life. You know, like little little things, little uh, little instances where we're you know we sort of gravitate towards certain things, and that that sort of um, cultivates into what we're doing in our own life right now. Um, and I know you you've said that. Um, your, I think your dad was was into, um, you know, social was into fundraising uh, and other things. Um, do you feel like if for, for you, do you feel like activism, um, like social movements, that's always been a part of who you are? Or is that something that just sort of developed or just, you know, just looking over the course of your life and, and just with your artwork? Has that been something that's like that's always been there or is that just developed over over time? I think it's something that as I've aged and matured that those tendencies have matured with me. And so when I was young, um, my dad was really, um, he made it a point to sit and read the newspaper with me. And he taught me how to read on the newspaper because he'd sit and read it to me. And then I, I learned how to read at a really young age from like doing the, reading the newspaper with him. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, both of my parents had really stressed the idea, you know, uh, like an age appropriate idea of, um, of um, humanity, you know, and, and being kind and having consideration for one another and, for treating all people as human beings and um, and respecting that in one another. And so those like basic principles as I was little, as I grew and got older, I mean, when I was in high school, um, my senior year in high school was when 9-11 happened. Yeah. And um, I saw a lot of my friends go to Iraq and Afghanistan. And so my, um, my consciousness of um, current events and of injustice, um, you know, that really, uh, propelled it for me, you know, is that it kind of woke me up out of this dream state of like teenagehood and childhood that was like, you know, this is real and horrible. And, um, and so that, yeah, so that consciousness has grown over time. When I was younger, you know, I think I the idea of being like a revolutionary and throwing Molotov cocktails, well, you know, it was like romantic and like seemed great. As an adult, I've learned, and as as a create, you know, as an artist, um, I've learned that there are creative solutions for um, for the problems that I see, and um, that everybody has a skill set that applies. You know, so maybe like marching in the streets isn't, I'm not suited to marching in the streets. I'm 4'11", 
110 pounds. So, <laughs> you know, a big, uh, a big cop or something comes and grabs me, you know, like I'm done. I'm not going to be able to fight. So, um, but what am I good at? Okay. I'm good at painting. I'm good at doing stuff on the computer. I'm good at promoting stuff on the internet. You know, um, the, the girl who made our logo, you know, she's good at making logos. And so she was able to help during in that way. Um, LaSalle is really good at um, social media engagement and, and advertising. And so, you know, she brings that skill set to the table. And, um, you know, so it's whatever you're good at. Some people are good at speaking. Some good, some people are good at writing music. Some people are good at, um, I don't know, spiritual stuff or, or whatever. You know, there, there's a whole um, rainbow of skills that are needed in these grassroots organizations. And um, so, I, it was always kind of like serendipitous that I ended up getting involved in nonprofits. And over time I was like, Whoa, like I've done a lot of nonprofit where like, you kind of don't think about it. Like you're just going through and doing, I mean, excuse me, I do this work with artists in solidarity. And then I also volunteer for a nonprofit um, roller hockey league in Oceanside that my um, two of my kids are in the league. And so I volunteer for that league too. And that's a nonprofit. And so um, there's something about my brain. I, I think like there's something wrong with me where if I'm doing work for a wage, I can't stand it. I don't care if it's like eating cotton candy. Like if they're like, you have to be here for six hours and eat cotton candy and we're going to pay you for it. It's like, fuck, I don't want to be here. But if it's like um, nonprofit, if it's service work, I will work a 12 hour shift, no pay and like be happy about it. And there's something, it's just crazy. I mean, even like I do, I work as a, a freelance painter mm -hmm. and um, I mean, I have my work, but then I have work that I do for other artists who need painting services and in, in their practice. And like when I'm painting at home and it's just me and I'm not trying to sell it and I'm not worried about it, like I'm just having fun. And then it's, when I go in there and it's like, you're getting paid for this and you have to be here, it's like, fine. You know, I mean, it's still fun. It's painting, but. There's some, there's, I don't know what it is. I just, um, hey, people I like, just wired differently. I don't know. Right. Right. You know, I mean, for some people getting paid is like a big incentive. Um, but I, time is so precious to me. I think when it comes back to like what I think about time, um, is this invaluable commodity this very precious very limited resource and I feel like there's no dollar amount that you can put on a minute at a time you know that really makes it worth it but when my time is exchanged for service and for benefiting um uh benefiting people who really need the help I feel like that's time well spent and I feel like that's those earnings are uh, that's what makes it worth it yeah. You know, and I, I mean, I wish there, I wish our society was more geared into that, that, you know, um, service work is, could be considered more valuable. And we could see social workers and teachers and, you know, people who do the really hard service wage service work, get the wages that they deserve. Yeah. Um, you know, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's something that um, I, I think there, there's a lot of uh, organizations, uh, specifically even around here, that's doing, you know, that's doing amazing things in their own capacity. You know, obviously, you know, artists in solidarity. And, and you know, I, I know I personally, for me, I do, uh, I do a lot of, uh, you know, volunteer work with uh, Humanity Showers um, that's here in Oceanside. And, and yeah. then, um, like I said, I'm always working with Studio Ace Arts and, 
doing um you know doing things with um uh, another quick shout out to uh, free belt revolution and they're they're doing their own little things um to uh, help uh humanize uh, society and and highlight uh people like you that, that are doing um amazing amazing things that you know sometimes they don't get the notoriety or, or get the, the press uh, about so it's it's sort of amazing you know we i'm i've been here since 2014 and you know coming from i'm coming from tennessee um and it's such a diverse um you know audience here uh even in north county not even including san diego but um just even around here there's uh so many amazing uh artists and you know musicians and writers and everybody doing their own thing and uh, I, I know personally for me I'm always sort of you know thriving off that you know that you know seeing their work always inspires me uh, even in my own um, you know practice and everything that I'm doing so it's it's cool seeing uh, you know seeing the things that that you're doing to to in, in a cradle solution using art to to sort of uh, um, help with with things that that matter um, and uh, so like I said I applaud you uh, for, for that. Um, so, uh, creative tips, you know, what, what are, what's a creative tip or tips that you can provide for our audience? So, um, when it comes to going into a creative field, I think, um, a, a resource that, um, was valuable for me, which is a pretty popular book. It's called, um, the artist's way. And, um, that book, really helps, I think, with um, the inner doubter that every creative has um, that I believe stems from society's focus on um, career paths that are not creative and um, kind of being told, I mean, my experience was I was told from a young age that art is a hobby, that it's not a real job, that you shouldn't get an arts degree, and all that is a bunch of BS. Yeah, um, yeah. And it is, it really wasn't until I went to art school and I met other creatives who were, who were working as artists who, um, and in art fields who were that example that I needed to see. I needed to see fellow artists who were actually working and making money and, and making a living on art, um, in art related fields. And, um, that's where the encouragement is, is in art school. Um, so you know, some way to deal with that inner doubter connected to that. If you don't want to read that book, um, it's kind of cheesy. Like there's a lot of like assignments and stuff. Like there's a lot I don't like about that book, but um, it does, it talks about the, the inner doubter and how to deal with that and how every human being is born with this innate uh, desire to create and people create different things. You know, uh, uh, someone who loves electronics, like they may create a little like, you know, computer motherboard or whatever electronic people make you know but that's like their creation and a painter you know they want to paint and that's their creation or um i don't know if you want to um make a, a safe space for teens to come in and talk you know about mental health issues you know so that's your creation so everybody uh, you know creative it's not like oh you're a painter or you draw pictures like creative is like you create stuff and so um to to recognize that there's a certain, I believe in like a higher power, God, universe, whatever. And, and so um, what that book talks about and what I believe too, is that um, that the creative spark in every human being is, is a little piece of the divine. And that um, the way each person is born unique, their 
each person has that unique spark that to make that thing in a certain way that nobody else would be able to make it. Mm-hmm. And so you are the hands of the divine here on earth, bringing that thing into existence, whatever that thing is. And that, that is valuable for the greater picture of, you know, of, of all of this. And so um, believing in that in yourself. Um, but if you're not going to read that book, the, the one thing that it does say in there that I love is um, it suggests writing uh, what's called, she calls it morning pages. And what you do is every morning before you or like right when you first wake up, you get it, your journal and you write three pages of anything. It doesn't matter. You don't reread it. No one is going to read it. And if you can't think of anything to write, then you just write, I can't think of anything to write over and over again until you think of something to write. And it's this like mental dump in the morning because when you wake up and you have all this stuff on your mind, it, it uh, subdues your creative energy. Because mm-hmm. you think you have all that stuff weighing on you and, and it doesn't give a chance for your intuition to come out and be creative. So if you can dump all that stuff, you just write it all down, close a journal. I've been doing it for like two years. I don't read any of it. I don't go back and read it. I write it, I slam it shut, I put it away, I take it out tomorrow and I do the same thing. And um, that has been incredibly valuable for my um, my own creative practice. I mean, the whole time that I've been doing this, uh, this uh, morning pages thing, I've been creating, like I haven't had, I haven't taken a break. I haven't taken a break because of like creative block, you know? So it helps to, to relieve those creative blockages. Um, also, I think um, for any, for creatives that are working like in visual fields, like visual artists, there are certain fields where like, it's important to stay on top of current trends and, and events, especially like, I think in like digital marketing and like um, digital art, um, that's important because it's like you want to be on the cutting edge of like the next big thing but um at least for me as a painter and I think with some of the other more traditional like visual arts forms is that um limiting your online consumption of artists online and it's hard because I have a lot of artist friends and I want to support them and there's a lot of galleries that I love and I want to support them and I want to give them all the likes and high fives online but I have I it's important for me to keep like my vision and my um, intuition pure and about, and like as my own and, and not absorb too much of like what the tr- the trend is in painting right now. And so I have to limit that stuff. So uh, there was a, a quote that I heard. Um, oh God, what was his name? He, he was one, of, he was in the, the Black Panther party in the sixties. And he said that um, theory is cool, but theory without practice ain't shit. Yeah. And I, I love that because it's, it's like, it's exactly what it is, is that you got to get out there and practice whatever it is you're doing, whatever creative, you know, thing that you do, if you're just talking about it and you're just writing about it and you're not a writer and you're, and you know, if you're just like theorizing, like that's all it's ever going to be. Yeah, and we got, there's a lot of people like that. <laughs> There are, yeah. Hey, and you know, I've been guilty of it in the past. And and what helped me was I had a a, a professor at um at UC San Diego who had a, an incredible work ethic. She was a painter, and she had an incredible work ethic. And she was like, "Are you out there? Are you out in the studio? Did you get in the studio today? How many hours a week are you in the studio?" And I was like, "Oh shit, I need to work," you know. And so um, having that kind of fire under my butt of um you know, 
uh, watching an example, like there's something about um, others' examples for me that that really helps me as far as like a um, personal development, you know, in that respect. When I see an artist like that who's working hard and she's getting out there every day, like I went out in the studio yesterday, it was cold out, it was cloudy, I wanted to be inside. And like, I got in the studio an hour later than I normally do, mm-hmm. but I got out there and I gave myself a little pat on the back for it. And like, I didn't want to be out there and it was hard and I pushed through. And when we pushed through those hard times of not wanting to work, um, that's, that's when um, I think like the gains are the biggest and it's kind of like exercising or working out, you know, it's like those really hard workout days are, that's where your biggest gains are going to come from. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same with uh, creative practice is that like, you know, we get so caught up in like the little, the, the, the momentary, like little things like, oh, I painted this shadow and it just doesn't look quite right. But when I look at the big picture of years of practice and painting hundreds of shadows and, and where that takes me in, you know, on down the line, my eye is developed and my intuition becomes developed and those things become easier and easier. And then I'm on to the next challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, art, at, at least for me being a painter and, and working in 2D, 2D, like traditional art space, is that um, the each challenge develops me for the next. And that my work is really, in a, in a very simplified sense, it's about creating problems for myself on my surface and then fixing them. And I just do that over and over again. I paint something wrong and then go, oh, oh, I messed it up. Now I got to fix it. And then, oh, well, that changed this over here. Now I got to fix that. And then I come around and, oh, the, you know what? Actually, I want to move this over here. At the painting I'm working on right now, I, I'm, ha- I'm happy with it. And also it is driving me crazy. I'm struggling with it because it's like that. I created some problems for myself on the surface that I need to fix. And there's another artist that, I'm sorry, I'm throwing all these like quotes out here. There's a, an artist who... Um, uh, Chuck Close, who um, he said, uh, ease is the enemy of the artist. And once things get easy, that's when you're in trouble. And I really love that as a guiding principle, because I found that when I stagnate and I get into, you know, earlier on in, in my art making, I've been art making since I was a kid. And when earlier on, you know, I get into some groove where I'm like, okay, I'm going to draw flowers or okay, I'm going to draw like tattoo flash, or I'm going to like do this like one little genre. And it becomes super easy. You figure it out. There's a formula. Super easy. You just do that over and over again. And it's like, what are you even made? It's like, you may as well just have like a Xerox machine and just make a bunch of copies, you know? And um, so once, so that's been a guiding principle for me too, is that I have to um, continue to find the challenge Mm -hmm. and, uh, and be, be ready and willing to meet that challenge because I want to be an artist, you know, if I want to do something easy, I can go do something easy, but I love making art. And, and that's part of the art making process is like being challenged and um, feeling frustration and feeling doubt sometimes and, and being able to, um, to push through that. And also being able to like give myself space to be uncomfortable there and like being able to sit in that and, um, and not have to try to fix it. Yeah. You know, so um, 
yeah, yesterday was a rough tiny day, but I pushed through. Yeah, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> End of the so, day, I was like, good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we sign off, we'll we'll go into uh, just a quick little uh, words of wisdom. Uh, this is for anybody, uh, words of wisdom for our audience. Uh, you know, if people happen to catch this episode next week or a year from now and they, they find out about, about Marissa and they find out about artists and solidarity, uh, solidarity um, what are those words of wisdom that you could provide for, um, for, for our audience or future creators or aspiring creators? What are those words of wisdom? Keep going, keep pushing, don't give up. And um, don't talk yourself out of your creative practice based on um, traditional stereotypes and definitions of what creativity is. I like that. I like <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, very, very simple, but profound. I like that. That's uh, <laughs> um, so how can obviously I know you've already said this before, but how can people reach out to you, connect with you? Um, you know, if they're interested in joining the art auction or just helping out with the organization in some form or fashion, uh, maybe a future partnership, who knows? Um, how can people reach out to you? Thanks so much for asking that. I have a, um, I, an Instagram account set up. It's Artists in Solidarity Official. We have a website also that is um, artistsinsolidarity.com. Through both of those avenues, you're able to contact us um, either um, by email, private message, or um, a contact form on the website. Our artist call is going to be open to all artists starting June 18th, and that's going to run to July 2nd. The auction itself this year is going to run from July 17th to July 31st. There is opportunities for everyone, whether you are an artist, or an art lover, um, there, or um, somebody who cares about migrant families and this cause, um, there's opportunity to show work or to purchase work or to just directly donate. We have a Venmo that is always open for donations. And um, I don't remember the handle on top, you know, off the top of my head, but we have it on our Instagram. Okay. They always give you a weird one with like dashes and numbers. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but we, we have it on the Instagram and, um, my um, my personal um, Instagram or my art Instagram for my own artwork and um, LaSalle's Insta Instagram are both um, tagged on on ours. So if you're interested in seeing my work, um, you know, you can go there and find those find that. And, um, you know, what's great about the auction, too, is that there will be stuff that well, a lot of it is like set really affordably. And so, you know, there are some things that you can get on there for five bucks, 10 bucks, you know, you pay a couple bucks for shipping and all of that really adds up. Um, so I just want to thank you again for, you know, shining light on, on this cause and shining light on our organization. Um, and, and also a shout out to all the artists and, um, and art lovers and supporters who um, have, helped us out these past two years um we wouldn't it wouldn't have been possible without everyone you know i kind of like this collective of all these people who care all these people who are creative and want to help and um it's it's really been a collective effort so thanks to everyone who watches this 
Hey, that's, that's awesome. That's great. Um, well, Marissa, uh, thank you for, for coming on to the show. Um, for anyone else, if you're interested in this, this will be available in podcast form. Uh, the full video will be on my YouTube page. And then the radio show uh, will be on heliumradio.com, uh, which is an internet radio uh, partner of mine. Um, that'll be, and like I said, this, this show releases every Tuesday um, at 11 a.m. Uh, Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time. So um, that show will be on radio, video, and audio for anyone that wants to um, check out this. And then obviously snippets of this will be uh, available on uh, Instagram too, on our uh, Cradle Brew page. So uh, if you're interested in either advertising for the show or just supporting the show in some form or fashion, you can go to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash the creative brew. And for a price of a cup of coffee, you can support this show or any of the, uh, any of the past shows uh, or future episodes. Um, but um, I, I just wanted to put that out there. So if you want to help support the show in some form or fashion, please do so. Uh, once again, this has been another great episode with me, with Marissa. And this is the Cradle Brew. Be Cradle, stay inspired. <laughs>